It's so good to have you with us this evening as we celebrate one more time the opportunity to look once again at the, at the manger and understand the greatness of the coming of the Christ child. It just seems like yesterday we were at our Thanksgiving Eve service and anticipating all that the month of December would bring as we anticipate the coming of the Christ child. How quickly the season goes by, uh, how fast things seem to uh, fly by every single year. And yet, for a brief moment throughout the season, we want to take time to look at what the Bible says concerning the arrival of the Christ. And I think that when you look at the songs of Christmas, you realize that all the, the different music that is sung speaks to the importance of this day and all that was brought to us by the Christ child. And I think that there are two songs in particular, one that Mary sang and, and one that Zechariah sang. Both of their songs speak to the point we want to talk about this evening. In fact, we want to continue our outline, the one that we began at the very first part of December that takes us through even tonight and even to this Sunday as we anticipate what it is that God wants us to celebrate. Christmas is a divine invitation to celebrate, but what are we celebrating? We are celebrating, first of all, the, the communication of unspeakable joy, that there is good news that has come that produces great joy. Unlike any other joy, the joy of the Christ child is supreme joy. And then we, we talked about the, the expression of unbelievable mystery. For everything concerning the, the coming of the Christ child is, is a mystery surrounding all things pertaining to the incarnation, his conception, and even the location of where Christ was born. This past Sunday, we looked at the, the liberation from unbearable captivity because we find ourselves entrapped by Satan, captive by him to do his will until Christ frees us from that captivity that we might serve him and only him. And then we looked at the exaltation of unfathomable majesty, that everything about the child that was, was born and the son given is all about the fact that he was wonderful and counselor, the mighty God the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and upon his shoulders will be the, the government that will rule the world, and because of him, there will be no end to that peace. But tonight, I want to look at the manger itself and all the mysteries surrounding that manger and the majesty that's there, as well as the ministry that's there, but most important, the mercy that's there. For in that manger is mercy, unbelievable mercy, and so when we gather together at Christmas time, what are we celebrating? We are celebrating the benefaction that we have because of his unachievable mercy. Mercy is something you receive. It's not something that you can achieve. And we are the recipients of something that's freely been given, willingly by our Lord, and it's his mercy. Mercy is not something that God has. Mercy is something that God is. And because he's mercy, that mercy is unending because he is unending. That mercy is uncreated because he himself is uncreated. So everything about the mercy that God gives is unending and uncreated because that's who our God is. Someone defined mercy this way. Mercy is God's tender compassion toward us in our distress. 
that causes him to act on our behalf and relieve our suffering at the time and manner in which he knows best. That's our God. The Bible translated, translates it loving kindness. It's the loving acts of God by which he bestows kindness on those who are miserable. Mercy is designed for the miserable. Grace is given for those of us who are guilty. We're all guilty. Mercy is for those who are miserable because of the overbearing sin in our lives. Mercy simply eliminates the pain. Grace grants a better condition. Mercy says, no hell. Grace says, heaven. And mercy is all about the Christmas season and the coming of the Christ child who is filled with mercy. This is how Mary said it in Luke chapter 1 when she said, his, for the mighty one has done great things for me, holy is his name, and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. She would later say in verse 54 of Luke 1, he has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. God remembered his mercy. Remember, we talked about at Thanksgiving that when God remembers something, it's not that he forgot it. It's simply that he's faithful to fulfill everything he foretold. He foretold the mercy upon Israel. Zechariah said it this way. Luke chapter 1, verse number 17. He came to show mercy toward our fathers. Verse 77. To give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us the tender mercies of our God. There was something that Mary knew. There was something that Zacharias knew about God and his mercy. That so many times the Christmas season comes and goes without us ever understanding the fullness of God's mercy for your life and for mine. We are the recipients of something that God gives freely and willingly to not just his own children, but to the entire world. It's his mercy. And we need to understand that mercy because there's something that Mary saw, that Zacharias saw, that caused them to write the songs which they wrote concerning the mercy of God. They were able to see the Son of God. They were able to, able to see the, the, the salvation of God. And because of the mercy of God, they were recipients of that. They knew that mercy was manifested in the person of God. They knew their God was merciful. That's why Mary says it's his mercy. Zechariah said it's his tender mercy. They understood that mercy was manifested in the presence of God Almighty. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 107, verse number 1. It says, the Lord is merciful. Psalm 111, verse number 4, he's full of mercy. Psalm 116, verse number 5, gracious is the Lord, our God is merciful. Psalm 119, verse 64, the earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy. Verse 156 of Psalm 118, 
Great are your tender mercies, O Lord. Psalm 145, verse number 8. The Lord is great in mercy. Ephesians 2, 4. He is rich in mercy. Our God is called the Father of mercies in 2 Corinthians 1, 3. And Christ is called our merciful and faithful high priest. Back in the Old Testament, when Moses said to God, I, I want to see your glory. I want you to show me who you are. And God said to Moses, I can't let you see my glory because if I do, I'm going to have to kill you. Because nobody can dwell in unapproachable light. Because I am the brilliance of all majesty. But I tell you what I will do. I will hide you in the cleft of the rock. I will pass by you. And I will allow you to see my afterglow. I'll, I'll allow you to see what's behind me. And so, in Exodus chapter 34, listen to what it said. It says, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in mercy and truth. Now that verse is quoted 27 more times in the Old Testament. Because Israel would always go back to call upon the compassion and mercy of their God. That's how the kings and the prophets of old would see God. They would see him as compassionate and merciful. And so they would call to God based on what God revealed of himself to Moses, saying that he was compassionate and filled with mercy, filled with loving kindness. And so... Solomon, in the book of 2 Chronicles, said these words, O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping the covenant and showing mercy. God, you show mercy because you are mercy. And only God can be merciful to us. And every one of us in the room is in desperate need of mercy. The loving kindness of God being bestowed upon those who so desperately need freedom from that which they're in bondage to. And that's the mercy of God. But Mary and Zacharias knew that. They knew that their God was a merciful God and that that mercy was manifested in his person. But they also knew that that mercy was materialized in his provision. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 103, verse number 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all our iniquities, who heals all our diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with mercy and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. There's something about God's mercy that materializes in what he provides for people like you and me. He pardons all our iniquities. He heals all our diseases. He satisfies the desire of our heart. It's the mercy of God that does that. He crowns us with mercy because that's the crowning act of what he does for his people. He shows us and stoops down and shows pity upon us and compassion toward us because we are in such need of his pity. And so, the mercy of God 
is materialized in his provision, the psalmist would say these words in Psalm 136. Psalm 136. Verse 23. He remembers us in our lowest state. For his loving kindness or mercy is everlasting. He has rescued us from our adversaries, for his mercy is everlasting. Who gives food to all flesh, for his mercy is everlasting. Did you eat today? You ate because of God's mercy. He gives food to all flesh. See, God's mercy is for everyone, not just for certain people. God is merciful upon all kinds of people. That's why the psalmist said, he heals all your diseases. Think about when Christ came to earth. And how would Christ best prove that he was God in the flesh to the world? There are many things he could have done, many ways he could have proven that he was God in the flesh. But what did he do in Israel? He banished all disease from Israel. He healed everybody who came to him, whether they were believers or unbelievers, whether they had faith or no faith. He healed them. Why? Because in order for him to prove that he was God in the flesh, he would demonstrate how merciful he was. He would stoop to a person's lowliest position and heal them. That's why the blind man would say, oh, Lord, God, be merciful unto us. And God would heal blind people. Those who couldn't walk, he would heal. Those who couldn't see, he'd restore their sight. Those who couldn't hear. He gave them the opportunity to hear once again. And they didn't have faith. Some of them did, but most of them did not. Why? Because God is merciful. And so when he came to earth, what did he do? He proved himself a God in the flesh by showing everybody that he's the God of Exodus chapter 34, who has compassion upon all people, who is long-suffering toward them, and merciful. And that's why the manger's filled with mercy. When you look at the, at the stable and understand everything about what takes place on Christmas, the manger's filled with the mercy of the living God. We are the recipients of something freely given to us because of his great love toward us. He is rich in mercy. And so, Zacharias... And Mary, they understood that mercy was manifested in the person of God. They understood that mercy was materialized in the provision of God. But they also knew that mercy was marked by the patience of God. Listen to what it says in Psalm 103. It says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. The psalmist quotes Exodus 34 because that's how God is. Mercy is marked by God's patience. Why is God so long-suffering? Why is God long-suffering with you and with me? Why is he so patient with us? Because he is mercy. Listen to what Peter says, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9, very familiar verse. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, slow, slowness excuse me, but is patient toward you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. 
You see, God is so long-suffering. God is so patient with us that he's willing to wait until we come to a place of repentance. If you're here tonight and you never come to that place of repentance, that's only because God in his mercy is long-suffering towards you. He is slow to anger. He is compassionate. If you are here tonight and never given your life to Christ, listen, you deserve to die, but God in his mercy has allowed you to live one more day to hear one more sermon about what it means to obtain the mercy of the living God. That's the goodness of God. That's why the manger is filled with his mercy. That's why we look at something that's completely unachievable. We can't work to receive mercy. God freely bestows his mercy upon us. And that's the invitation to come and celebrate something that's unachievable. What is that? It's the mercy of the living God. A mercy that's, that's, that's manifested in his presence, that's materialized in his provision, that is marked by his patience. And this one's really good, and that is it is magnified in his punishment. Did you know that? God's mercy is magnified in his punishment. Listen to what the psalmist says. Psalm 103. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. In other words, God is a God of judge, judgment. God is a God who punishes sinners. But God's mercy is best known and completely magnified in the fact that when he punishes, he punishes with mercy. I think sometimes we forget about that. That's why Habakkuk said it this way, Habakkuk 3, verse number 2, in wrath, O Lord, remember your mercy. That's what a psalmist said in Psalm, Psalm 30, verse number 5, his anger is best, is but for a moment, excuse me, but his mercy is for a lifetime. What did Jeremiah say in Lamentations 3, 22? By his mercies, we are not what? Consumed. If it wasn't for God's mercy, the moment you sinned, you'd be zapped. You'd be consumed. But because of God's mercy, we are not consumed. You know, one of the best ways this is illustrated is the life of King David. King David was a, was a man after God's own heart. But there were times in David's life where, where he sinned against the true and living God. And when he sinned against God, God became angry with David, angry with him. And there comes a time in, 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 in 1 Samuel, where, or 1 Chronicles, where David says that he's going to number his men. He wants to, he wants to trust in his army. He wants to trust in his, in his horsemen. He wants to see what his army is like. So he, he commands Joab to go and, and to number all of his soldiers. I want to know how many we have. Because David was beginning to trust in his mighty armies. He was beginning to trust in the things that he had trained his armies to do. He was a mighty warrior, right? And so he just, he just cut off track a little bit. And the Bible says these words. In 1 Chronicles chapter 20, and God was displeased with this thing 
So God struck Israel. The Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and speak to David, saying, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose for yourself one of them, which I will do to you. So Gad came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Take for yourself either three years of famine, three months to be swept away before your foes, while the sword of your enemies overtakes you, or else three days of the sword of the Lord, even pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of the land. Now therefore consider what answer I shall return to him who sent me. God was angry. There were consequences. You got three choices. One, three years of famine. Three years. Or three months where your enemies will overtake you. They'll destroy you. They'll overrule you. Or three days of pestilence. What would you choose? Listen to what David says. This is so rich. He says, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great. But do not let me fall into the hand of a man. David knew. David knew that God was merciful to him. Man will not be merciful, but my God will be merciful. Let God do what God's going to do, but I better be, best be in the hand of God because he is merciful than in the hand of man. 70,000 of his soldiers died. God had a pestilence. He struck the land. And the story is so unbelievably incredible because God was doing something unique in the life of all Israel. Listen carefully to the story. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel. 70,000 men of Israel fell. And God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. But as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw and was sorry over the calamity and said to the destroying angel, it is enough. Now relax your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Then David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven with, the draw, with his drawn sword in his hand, stretching out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders, covered with sackcloth, fell on their faces. And David said to God, is it not I you commanded to count the people? Indeed, I am the one who has sinned and done very wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? And the story goes on. And the Lord says, I want you to go up to the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And I want you there to offer a sacrifice to me. Very important. Why? So what does David do? He goes up to the threshing floor. Where is the threshing floor located? On Mount Moriah. And he goes there, and he wants to purchase the threshing floor. And Ornan, he doesn't want to take any money for it. He wants to give it to David. And David says, no, I want to purchase it. 600 shekels of gold. This is how you know Israel has the right to the Temple Mount. Because it was purchased by David. He bought it. It's his. It's Israel's. Okay? 
So David purchased that because where would the temple be built? On Mount Moriah, right over the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And in that temple, on that threshing floor, would be located what? The Ark of the Covenant. And what's the lid of the Ark of the Covenant? The mercy seat, where the presence of God would dwell. Because you see, in David's sin, he asked the Lord to remember his mercy. And through his sin, God used all that to bring about his great purposes so that the temple of the Lord God would be built on Mount Moriah and on that threshing floor would be a place of mercy always to signify that Israel could come to God and obtain mercy from him. See how God works that out? God is so precise in all that he does. That's how God works all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Because in David's own sinful lifestyle, in his pride, in his desire to count the the armies of Israel, God was going to punish him. But through that punishment came mercy, the mercy of the Lord. And David called upon the mercy of the Lord. And from that came a temple over that location to signify to all Israel that mercy was available. Mercy was attainable. Mercy was here because the God of mercy would dwell in between those angel wings on the the cherubim wings on top of the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the presence of God would dwell. Why? Because he's a God of mercy. That's why. So many times we forget this. Christmas is about the mercy of God. We are willing, we we have willingly received the gift of mercy with the coming of the Christ child because he is mercy. That's why that little trough, that, that stone cut trough was filled with mercy. And so, what did Mary and Zacharias knew? They knew that mercy was manifested in the person of God materialized in the provision of God, marked by the patience of God, magnified in the punishment of God, and maximized in the pardon of God. Psalm 103 again. It says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness or his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Our God is a God of mercy. And it's maximized in the very fact that he forgives us all of our sins. Listen to what Paul said. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant in the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. And this is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason, I found mercy. I found mercy so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. 
Paul would later go on to say in the book of Titus, these words, Titus chapter 3. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of our deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. Paul says, I found mercy. God saved me. Why? Because mercy is maximized when God can forgive a sinner because we are so unworthy of, uh, of his forgiveness. And yet God says, I'm willing to forgive those who come to me and repent of their sins. I will bestow upon them all of my mercy that they might receive complete forgiveness, complete wholeness, complete restoration, because I will crown them with loving kindness and mercy. The Bible says, in 1 Peter 1, verse number 3, that's because of God's mercy that we are benefactors of an eternal inheritance. God is so merciful. What did Mary know? What does Zacharias know? I believe they knew a lot more than, than what we know because we don't understand the God of mercy like they did. They understood that the mercy of God was manifested in this person. They understood that it would be materialized in all of his provision because God provides for all men, not just believing men, but all men because of his mercy. They knew that God's mercy was marked by his patience. He was long-suffering. He was long-fused with man. I mean, that's why you're still here today, right? God's long-fused. He's got a huge, huge fuse that allows his mercy to put up with you every single day. And that mercy, that mercy simply was magnified in his punishment, maximized in his pardon. That mercy is motivated by his pity. The Bible says in Psalm 103, just as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. That's our God. He pities us. His mercy is motivated by the fact that he shows pity upon us. Listen to Psalm 109. Psalm 109, verse number 21. These words are, are spoken. But you, O God, the Lord, deal kindly with me for your name's sake. Because your mercy is good, deliver me. For I am afflicted and needy and my heart is wounded within me. I am passing like a shadow when it lengthens. I am shaken off like the locust. My knees are weak. From fasting in my flesh has grown lean without fatness. I also have become a reproach to them. When they see me, they wag their head. Help me, O Lord my God. Save me according to your mercy and let them know that this is your hand. You, Lord, have done this. The psalmist knew just to cry out to the mercy of God. That's why the tax collector said, oh, Lord, be merciful unto me, a sinner. And he beat upon his breast knowing that God would forgive him and that God would pity him and show compassion toward him because that's the God we serve. He's a merciful, merciful God. The mercy of God, as Mary and Zacharias knew, 
was something that was maintained all throughout his plan. Why? Because his mercy is unending. The psalmist says in Psalm 136, these words, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy is everlasting. Give thanks to to the God of gods for his mercy is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his mercy is everlasting. And then in verse number 26, it says, give thanks to the God of heaven for his mercy is everlasting. His mercy is maintained all throughout his plan because God himself is merciful. And because he's merciful, that mercy is uncreated, it's unending. God is always mercy. He's never not mercy. God is always love. He's never not love. God is always grace. He is never not grace. God is ever always just. He is never not just. But his mercy sweetens his justice. His mercy sweetens his punishment. His mercy sweetens his wrath. His mercy is such an incredible part of his character. And so many times we forget that. We must never forget that mercy is always multiplied in his people. We sing of the mercy of God. We who have experienced mercy exemplify mercy. Those of us who exemplify mercy, we extend mercy, right? And those of us who extend mercy, we exclaim mercy, We sing the praises of God all about his mercy. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm Psalm 106. It says these words, praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy is everlasting. Then again over in Psalm 107, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. Verse 8, let them give thanks to the Lord for his mercy and for his wonders of the sons of men, for he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. Psalm 108, I will give thanks to the Lord, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations for your loving kindness. Your mercy is great above the heavens, and your truth reaches to the skies. Psalm 115, verse number one, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all nations, laud him, all peoples, For his mercy is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Psalm 118, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy is everlasting. Oh, let Israel say, his mercy is everlasting. And let the house of Aaron say, his mercy is everlasting. And let those who fear the Lord say, his mercy is everlasting. You see, the mercy of God is multiplied in his people. Not only do we experience mercy because of the God of mercy, but we truly want to extend mercy to others as well as exclaim that mercy on a regular basis as Mary did in her song, as Zacharias did in his song because they knew that with the coming of the Christ child, God had remembered his mercy. How about you? Have you been the recipient of God's saving mercy? whereby you're able to understand the, the, the redemption that God gives to us through His Son? 
that manger, as majestic as it was, as mysterious as it was and is, is filled with nothing but mercy because our God is a God of mercy. Let me pray with you. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for tonight. We are so grateful for the opportunity to peer once again to the Scriptures. So much to be said about this season. So much left unsaid about the season. But Lord, never let us forget that you are the God of mercy who bestows mercy upon all man. Because of your mercies, we are not consumed. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for that. We are here tonight because of your mercy. We breathe because of your mercy. You look down upon us and pity us. Why? Because you know our frame. We're fragile. We are nothing but dust. And you are the majestic God of the universe who demonstrates your compassionate love toward those of us in great need. For that we are thankful. And we pray, Lord, that everyone in the room this evening would have experienced the mercy, the saving mercy of the living God, that we might exclaim that mercy, not just on this day, not just in this season, but throughout our entire lives. In Jesus' name.